read from Undercastle. This first poem from Undercastle is called Shipmall Heaven. And I think it's from my parents. Baudelaire said something about nature being uninteresting, and I bought so many things to keep up with the statement, to fling lines around a circumference of solitude brought to you by REI.com, to rest on the pause button between simulation and nature. What is it with immigrant parents and their sleepy relationship with virtual gods? www.com Every gadget abandoned and lacquered in frying fish oil and dust. Black Sony cordless they can't seem to throw away. Oh, 1990s indicative boys calling the house when a brother took away the Sony cordless because a girl paged his beeper. And they wandered around the backyard in a fog of prima gossip with the BFF, that cordless, that thing, gave reason for us to hide, tell secrets about each other, imagine living different lives. The finite boundary, your fiction on a screen and buttons that make you impossible. The rain understands itself the way the BC's prelude to an afternoon understands itself, and days push forward with escalators pushing upward to heaven as a parking lot. She pulls and pulls and pulls further away from Catholic anecdotes and uses him to pour financial redemption scams too hard to understand. Says, today is the feast day of guardian angels. Says to pray because they're always with you. She drive a thousand miles to a mass, sorry. Or 7-Eleven for lotto tickets, beg forgiveness, pray for Powerball numbers, never give up me. I don't think I can read this poem, <laughs> I'm sorry. Alright. Um. Okay, this poem's called Skype. A face hovers over the afternoon. Don't test your sound, I only want to watch our voices reflect all over the place. A mouth blurred by poor connection. While you talk, it's obvious we're addicted to distance. I catch a facial expression learned from whatever TV series you're following. Together, we invoke schizophrenic geometries and turn up the volume to hear you better. Outside, the trees feel pornographic, and I'm not sure why. Days, days consolidate into rectangles. Your face withdraws and floats just before cutting out. I carry you around the house, stretching the tragedy of can you hear me? When all I want is to turn it off and hold hands throughout static years to come. Let me borrow an escalator. I'm killing ideas and selves in every passing threshold. I'm trying to love again in newer clothes and currencies. Glittering mascara strokes on escalators. Attention splintered. Scams like weather lies or screams from deep drill hell. Though on ground level, celebrities shall act on shiny futures you can shine a shoe or car with. Let me borrow your Sephora facial powder. Mine ran out in this strip mall heat.
This was called, um, Fool, Did You Get My Text? It's for Carlos Laura. I left a comment about your face, or was it Andre Breton's? We thrive on thumb legs, make me feel pretty. We walk further into hell, useless collapse of everything. We swimming pool everything. We saw post-grad beards get the hell out to pay off love and loans. Fool, I'm seriously feeling this need to escape for several lives. Yo-yos en route to Jordan for Sivers silts. Yo-yos jogging in Gucci loafers, smoking Arabian cigs. You and yo-yos are saints in the wrong century or universe, hotboxing a Hummer blasting to the Camelback Desert with a dozen Mohammeds who call you bro, photo-texting you to their mothers. In other news, we dreamt of 40s and cheap tacos and hung over in New England winters. The future, arrested in mirrors, is an unforgivable tattoo. Fool, not gonna lie, this pope is not dope. This California sun spins 1917 Fatima, making anywhere Fatima. I was named after Lucia, the nun who survived hallucination and lies. Reality was the one who ate toilet paper. And this is based on um, this reality show called Strange Addictions. And there's an episode about this um, lady named Keisha who had an addiction to eating toilet paper. So this is kind of a true story. This is a true story. Okay. Reality was the one who ate toilet paper. Keisha ate and ate toilet paper. Her mother said, every time you see Keisha, she would have tissue in her hand and she would try and hide it behind her back. Family photo of Keisha half smiling with a foot long roll of toilet paper in her left hand trying to hide it behind her body. And that's what she really did. She tried to hide it. And if you tried to take it from her, she would get upset. I was never able to understand why she eat tissue, and I never will. Keisha said, I think I crave it because I love the way toilet paper feels in my tongue, how it dissolves when it hits my tongue. Pause on Keisha who eats up to half a roll of toilet paper every day. That's more than 1,200 pounds in the last 23 years. Keisha said, my favorite is this one. And the reason why is because it's two-ply and it's easier to digest than some of the two-ply toilet paper. And I will just separate the ply and then pull it and eat it. And Keisha demonstrates it in front of camera. Scenes of Keisha eating toilet paper while watching TV, driving a car, lunch with her sister at a restaurant, talking to her mom at the kitchen table, alone in her bathroom. Her mother said, eating toilet tissue is not normal, Keisha. Do you know that you've been eating toilet tissue for 23 years? You never thought about it? Keisha said, no, only when you say something like that about it. Her mother said, okay, you think about it. I have to have, it have to have some kind of effect. Then a psychiatrist in the office said, taking any kind of foreign substance that is porous, that is hubris, can build up in the stomach, and if it doesn't digest, it can cause bowel obstruction. That can be potentially fatal. Then Keisha on the sidewalk in the suburbs said, I carry it with me in my purse. When I'm in my car, I keep a roll in my glove compartment box, and I'll just grab the toilet paper and break it off and start eating it. 
Then Keisha dressed differently, sitting in her living room set, a good place where people don't. Then Keisha dressed differently, walking out to Libby Theater, entering the doors and sitting in the dark. Really pay attention to you eating toilet paper is the movie theaters. It's dark in there, so you can like sneak a couple sheets in with no one even noticing. Then Keisha on her couch eating toilet paper said, if I eat too much toilet paper, I'll have like stomach cramps and have a hard time going to the bathroom. Her mother said, all we can do is just pray that, you know, you stop eating the tissue. Coming up, Keisha and sister having lunch in a restaurant. Her sister said, I'm, wor I'm worried about you. Mom's worried about you. Keisha said, there's no escaping toilet paper. I got to have it. Keisha said, I'm addicted to toilet paper. Like any addiction, I can't stop. I eat it morning, noon, night. Keisha eats up to 130 squares of toilet paper every day. That's more than one million squares in a lifetime. Keisha said, today I'm at the coffee shop to meet my sister Jennifer. She's trying to convince me to stop eating toilet paper, so I'll see how it goes. And then there are a bunch of images of roast, scrambled eggs, pancakes, waitress fast forwarding to the table. Her sister asks, while pouring syrup on pancakes, when was the first time you ever started eating tissue anyway? Keisha said, I really don't remember. Her sister asks, what made you want to eat it? Keisha said, I really don't know. Minutes later, in their time, Keisha puts down her fork and put a square of toilet paper in her mouth. Her sister said, why don't you try, why are you trying to look to see if somebody's looking? And then you kill me, you eat it like it's bubblegum. Keisha said, want some? Her sister said, no. Keisha said, try it. Her sister said, I don't think syrup and tissue go together. Her sister said, Keisha said, as long as she's not hurting anyone, that it's fine. But I just think she should really take it seriously because who eats tissue? Her sister said that could clog your system up. Keisha said, no, I can't. It's not like I'm balling it up and stuffing it in my mouth. I'm taking pieces. Her sister said, but don't you think those pieces add up? Keisha said, it dissolves and breaks down. Her sister said, how do you know that it dissolves and breaks down in septic tanks and stuff like that? Not your body. You never know. It may kick in when you're 40. You'd be like, what the hell is going on with my body? You're going to say all the damn tissue I ate. I'm worried about you. Mom's worried about you. The kids are worried about you. Postscript. Dear Keisha, I know you and the toilet paper are real, but whenever you play the scenes, the addiction seems a script. I want to know more about what you said about toilet paper dissolving when it hits your tongue. The psychiatrist didn't consider the effect of the solution regarding stress. To dissolve, the symbolic act of consuming something thin enough to make you feel as though you disappear every time. I want to know what you have been wanting to disappear from. If the causes accelerate since the first square you ever ate, if the prime mover of the addiction is less than arbitrary, if the act of disappearance sustains you, if it's possible to love anyone as much as you love toilet paper, I notice you live alone. I want to know where your soul goes every time you eat it.
This one's called Gabriel Papaya Soap. And it's a type of soap um, popular in the Philippines that is that supposedly helps um, one's skin look lighter in complexion. Several soap advertisements shine on your face. Mayroong kang tulad, magandang gulat. Then there's Michael Jackson. They say is yours to sing. Ultimately, you're always in a living room, negotiating your way out of karaoke. They won't accept it. They won't let you leave until you eat sinigang or sing. numerical sunshine. A, a face glows with whatever has been searched for. The ring is worthless and still we get wet. What causes reverence for repetition we owe to the forgetfulness of birds and memory of machines. Numerical sunshine means plants are programmable, therefore don't need sun. How should I feel when you fast forward me into a future nostalgia? I can crawl back into my body now, thank you. Are the candy and I was in the vacation paintings hung up in hotels. Basically, I'm tired of laughing out loud in each other's absence when the sunlight smears all over itself on a computer screen and you can't see what's there, just an electric silhouette pretending you're here with me. When you follow the fruits of her language, you arrive at a dark cottage. It feels like romance. It feels like chance until she pushes you into the oven or the furnace if you're Macaulay Culkin, and you come to smoking, a deranged millennial, ready to fight fire with fire, baptism by fire, which is, least we forget, also a military term. <coughs> Imagine the brimstone has already happened so warm and cozy in financial capital. Imagine Ali Warren reactivates desire in so many weird, igneous asteroids. Imagine Ali Warren is really serious about pet rocks. I grasp bills like pebbles, she writes in my factless autobiography, published by City Lights in her first full-length book of poems, Here Come the Warm Jets, also the title of Brian Eno's seminal debut album. I grasp bills like pebbles in my brow abounding grief I would like to take this opportunity to dig out the sack. I has the boo, she has the chronic. You heat water to a rolling placebo till, till truth-telling makes a terror threat. Amali, imagine Ali Warren is a witch, messing with time, space, gender, pop culture, and semi-economic structures. Once upon a time, before I read Ali Warren and other poets of the Bay Area she calls home, 
I gave the bank my paycheck, and the bank gave me the illusion of time, and I was happy. In the uprising, however, Franco Bifro Borardi writes, poetry is a language of non-exchangeability, the return of infinite hermeneutics and the return of the sensuous body of language. In A Signal to Rise, Ali Warren writes, bodies break on the wheel for a verse to take the place of differentiated plunder. And you see me kind of grinning precisely because I am a fiddler. Believe me, sweetie, I got enough to feed the needy. Ellie Warren calls for the break and the feast, fact and effect, music for airports, to drop another Brian Eno reference. Bifo calls for the reintroduction of the general intellect and the social body. I was called to introduce you to Allie Warren, the author, in addition to Here Come the Warm Jets, other checkbooks grinding, acting out, well-meaning white girl, and cousins, co-author with Michael Nikoloff of Bruce Dick and Noia, and co-editor of the Poetic Labor Project and editor of Dreamboat Magazine, and, and featured poet on KQED, and collaborator with SF MoMA's Open Space and San Francisco Gallery's Second Floor Projects. It's my great pleasure to give Ali Warren a warm welcome. Compelled to develop a fleet 
of swarms and shoals and eager clients to flourish in the first in assistance of free voters and establishment of bases. I ask fates for their consent. Let us be undone by coming array. Let the conflicted and anxious, the seed savers and hard hearts, the goals and muscles and shrimps, let them with ears hear. All waters we call our sea and peoples we include in this we, whether compatriot or foreigner, whether felled by axemen or suspended in exception, bodies break on the wheel for verse to take the place of differentiated plunder. And you see me kind of grinning, precisely because I am a fiddler. Believe me, sweetie, I got enough to feed the needy. It's called Environments for Shopping. Oh, there's, uh, I read this line, um, few days ago, or when was that, a week ago or something, this opening line, and someone mentioned to me that it was a Van Morrison line, and I had completely forgotten, or didn't know that I had stolen it. Um, so I guess he deserves his credit. Um, conquered in a car seat, rite of passage, PTSD, with my bowl cut and my bright green NLG cap, compelled to comport Looting largely locally, I press painted marks against men as they shake their spears, police the periphery, and bully them all who gather firewood in forests and fish undrained fens. I saw a goat commuting across the plain, a fiscal functionary in the governed provinces, an orange grove in the mall. Hello from this nasty canopy this mossy pink welcome mat. What's a crab tree anyway? What's an actually existing socialism? Does a pup not crave Ativan in the flatlands? Does wealth not stink up the sidewalks there? The barracoon, the jail, the crimp house, the suburb, the slum, the supermax slammer. We dance in a circle around the debris to make real the horrors of accumulation and go off content with the little party. in the horse ship, refusing to unload the reeking vessel, so blind and confined, braying in the confident post-faced of our feasting, with unstoppable gait over solid substrate in coming after solstice, the end or adaptation to its prediction. When I hung myself upside down at the center of one of my openings, and in that wake, Crest ridden and flanked, I hit horizontal down on the docks and publicly declare a flag for brute feeling. I suck heartily on the teats of a world-class city and profit off the gaunt carnal mess. It is possible to make out an anchor and rudder in the hands of the shoppers on the promenade, the standards and wreaths and hushed coral advances who daily pay court and consort in taverns in sowing season, sulfur, tar, and torches. <coughs> Salt lakes and sand dunes. My wife was dead. My wife 
had died. It comes and rushes as through a trunk. Not that I know anything, anything in the dark of prepositions of promise, in jadings and a button-up. I send out a call on account of other causes, unknown or unsaid, with my yop up against guilt and dearth, fearing what rears up. Without foreknowledge, without regret, my pathetic life in shrimps, doling out tincture in the troubled territories, the wisest person I know, the ocean, regurgitated all and turned back to the one who came wielding it, fade at what I thought was the moon, blue as the news, crisis of Kairos and bold rocky fact, I came here in relief to expect myself in the cold out tonight, under B of A, lolling on the saws spent, ways to win. Can you guys hear me? Imagine a beast thriving, rudderless, while it rips you to pieces. Once the sucking commences, it lives more, the more it sucks. The fleshy sign, the semi and precious metals, the fragility of their linkage. All the evil things of the world will have full sway with a high collar to hold my chin up, in gross profusion gushing up in self-pollution surfeit of sea worthy of this vehicle, I went to the mall and collapsed. Sausages, hogsheads, legs of mutton, lard, tripes, and tubs of wine in the duct again additive and beautifully interspecific pit of a possible world. I work hard to know if there is any gold. My job is to mop the ejaculate. I employ swimophone in high impact accessories and make a face beneath the noise, all tingly from the consomme. I roll back jersey and claim clams. I work at collecting our lush pastels. And when you talk, I just wash your mouth. These are the days I have to write about now. These are the ham hocks and their unanimous consent you've been waiting for. Tell your mom I said hi. This will be the material of my song. Another day at the sieve, administering the field and all its relations bound in custom to enterprise and acquire, to load into carts. Everyone wants to hang glide in colonial paradise. No? To stand on the brink and make a market of every vital nucleus, as much in understanding as execution of the lops, tops, and rootage. With whom it is permissible with whom it is forbidden to rub larynx and articulators, with my habit and my oozy and the bishop of worms as an example to the population. This is called my factless autobiography. The grammarian 
chooses a place in the open air for arguments. Fiction runs sweet in my nostrils. I inhale a failing air fleet. Four of them, four to eat the milky crab, the pudding the proof is found in. I am the assayer of weights and measures. I am what I am because I am not something else. I hold a lily in my hands. It is not gross. As a fabric, as a historic surface, I am propelled. I touch bone and traffic in salt like minefields and the people we inhabit. Who but the most despairing among us will dwell on that point tonight? Good brother, take me to the place where I may meet ghosts and animal protein where hiatus does not interrupt the phrasal unit and the international agencies in which the state participates consider a lover a stash. My freedom is represented by my desire to twiddle beard and make face at women in their apartment windows. I poke my snout through the underbrush and keep a stash of guilt I unleash when a red face appears. When her hat flies off and out the convertible, I grab my pants. My member is being severed. My stomach is so concave, various kinds of hardships ensue. Dear exploited and missing persons, I don't want to lose access to fresh luncheon meat at a fair and low price. I have never seen the star you call the sun. I grasp bills like pebbles in my brow abounding grief. I would like to take this opportunity to dig out the sack. I has the booze, she has the chronic. You heat water to a rolling placebo till truth telling makes a terror threat. But with the dust and human remains, the ferry accidents, the bombs, the fast drying three feet of concrete, what makes this night different from all other malls? At the dog park, in the club, People from the valleys, from the uplands, from the highest slopes betroth. This play houses countless characters. Young men will stick you up. Imagine walking around the market not knowing what the seahorse is for. It's called Getting Ready to Have Been Fully Ensconced. I touch the work. The work touches me. The backdrop is a fine mesh through which posses thump and leak. I sing emerging markets in which the gathering mound protrudes. This the grammar in which form comes. This the nature of the transcript between persons. That terminal moraine ever attenuating from lap to lap. Sometimes foghorns reach city center. Sometimes when hundreds spondees provide the tools necessary to utilize the system while maintaining a case concept not bound by that system. And that is the story of how I earned my purple heart. Falled up on the murky bed, accusing nipples of gold digging, lacking the conviction necessary to move off the unconfused upholstery, getting ready to have been fully ensconced they tell you what you need is intake packets, but I want to tap the gap back till form and form's fiance turn fat back. I've been down with men's frank tearfulness after epic victories. I've known a diverted thrust or two, that plump lushness, bending the bits. Dear impresario, do it where the Congress can't reach us.
Autolit. This has an epigraph from David Rattray. Rattray. I'm not sure how you say his name exactly. Um, does anyone know? Uh, the Eleusinian Mysteries saw the passage from this life to the next as a union of lovers over a division of water. Full hardy with no ice on Patriot's day, comrades gone to fetch the hog, pressed the blade wristward, and came back intact, by which I mean flayed from waist to waist, left for living, dead, locked, deep in glass. Rocks, call out your facts. Out with the minions. Raise your disemboweled hands. Who here daily distends, having had a feeling in the bush deep? You've got some, uh, you've got a bit of blood pooled at the opening. Here, let me mark the place where the deed was done, and the clock stopped or shot, went reeling in the night down gentrified avenues and littered laneways, stricken in the flank, surely a siren sound. Faith ain't nothing but weakness and credit. Miss it terribly, you need a little dog. I went to the city some days to learn my master's pleasure and laid fort at the farthest place where hedges are highest and terror of the obvious is a rosary of similitude. Did you see some of the nudging? How did you feel about the nudging? Boats by water and wagons by land in active assistance in perpetuating fraudulent froth and hence with haste we've seen their mulchy tongues suck up every animate aim sweeping excess into piles. The reserves and neocons, administrators and representatives, the preachers and deputies and yahoos and spodies. In the evenings, they come down from their operational sectors to kiss the children. What terror is in them to keep the sugar boiling, to restrain the wanderings as fragile and fictitious? Did you see the tent on a stick? Did you see the architecture of gathering? I go to the city some days to gather what's left of the scrub grass. There in the alley we converse. Idris, his love of fresh skim. Ted, his disdain for women, their lack of banking. Terence and Will, their concern for purity of pussy. Power precedes them, sap drenched and parceled across the land. I go to the city some days, I receive a letter. Dear comrades, don't get it twisted. Never lick the hand that lashes you. Use beef when you run out of oakum.
Give me the names of several good accountants. Fix firmly the existing pivot point. Cut up the back of her nightgown and keep the nameless little gremlins in a tote. Please to call it a wound, sir, and not a scar. I call Mark daily. He has no information. We build a relationship between the if and when. The same or meaning, but not both. The king is people and the cops is cantering. According to the arc of succumbing, biting the pillow repatriates the body. The meaty curve warms as you do. No more queasy mistresses. No more flapping red furs. Get your wallet out. It's egg cream time. Saga go viral. Saga go dumb. Alpha beta bumps young Turks. Weepy bloom kaput. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would two of you be willing to? Is it is hot. 
seconds and we can answer some questions. It's pretty awesome. You up for that? Yeah. <laughs> Think of some questions. <laughs> Insidious, unescapable thing, which doesn't necessarily relate to any product, and doesn't necessarily relate to any happiness or um, feeling contentment. My my question is, how does writing poetry fit into this? Does that feel like the same kind of labor? Does it feel like something different to you? Um, thank you. Uh, I think I'm, I feel compelled by um, both things. Um, I feel compelled to work uh, and labor to pay my rent, and I also feel compelled to write poetry, um, but I feel compelled by them in different ways. Um, and um, poetry for me is, is not under the regime of uh, the whip of of capital by which if I uh, didn't do it, I would starve to death. Um, I think there is, I've never had a, um, a job or labor where I actually produced something that was meaningful to me. Um, so I'm, I wonder how that would be different um, if I didn't. But um, yeah, I think for me, um, I don't. I think I don't think I like to think about it in terms of. Um, I don't like to put those two things together. I don't want to. Um, I'm against work. Um, so if I thought about poetry too much that way, as like the craft of labor, I think I would not want to write. But it is a passion, maybe more than a labor. Could you talk a little bit about, like, it's interesting to me that there's two, like, awesome poets who have known each other for, <laughs> can you give a little background just of, like, what your relationship was or how you knew each other or that?
family ever had. And it's the same for her. the episode of it on Hulu. It's on Hulu, right? On Netflix. Oh, on Netflix. I'm sorry, Netflix. There's that show, Strange Addictions, and that episode is there. And I don't know. There are these sort of facts that run in and out of that episode, and I guess it is, it's really, it's pretty bad for you. It mustn't be good <laughs> for you to eat that much. I think it probably, if it, you eat too much of it and it builds up in your stomach, and it's not hard, it's hard to digest, probably. <laughs> chemicals too, right? Yeah, the chemicals, the chemicals too. Yeah, the bleach, the bleach. So you don't advocate. Bleach on the toilet paper. Yeah. More questions? How do you, um, how did that fit into, that was Strip Mall Heaven, right? Uh, the story about Keisha and her toilet paper addiction? Um, it's in the same collection um, as Strip Mall Heaven and Under Castle. Yeah. Okay. How do you feel like that overall fits in with um, the collection of poems? Or why did you decide? Because I, I've also watched that episode and I thought you it have? was mesmerizing. Okay. It made me want to eat toilet paper. <laughs> I, I did. And she she's probably an expert and she's been eating it for most of her life. I'm not saying that it's good, but yeah. How did you feel like it fit in? <coughs> I don't. Um. I think I think it just fits in because it happened. I wrote it while trying to playing together a bunch of poems and um, prose things, and it just sort of watching that episode and writing about it in that sort of period made sense to include it and. Um, it just, I guess, it seems to fit in for some reason. Um, this is a question for either of you. How much of your writing is based on observation and how much of it is based on research? Or is it an even leveling out of it? So the reading and the observation or overhearing or looking and hearing things feels like one and the same process, really. So, yeah. 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 I think so. Just kind of what's happening in your life at any time, every day, kind of creeps in. It's, it's very much a part of it. I think that there's no separation between the act or process of 
Uh, I've known your work for a really long time now. Um, and I'm really interested in how um, this this new work, in context of the, the Brian Eno reference of the title, mm -hmm. um, it works um, in a very like ambient, layered um, kind of building. Has that sensibility of, say, his later ambient work, mm -hmm. and feels much less glam than <laughs> "Here Come the Warm Jets." Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering uh, how, for you, that title works in, or that sensibility works in with the work. I think I should have realized when I named the book <laughs> that I was going to have to deal with questions about its title. Um, uh, any answer I give, I feel like it would only be a sort of afterthought, really. It was more just like sort of naming the book with something that um, felt right. And I had a group of titles that I was thinking of, and this one sort of zoomed in on a bird, and I was like, okay, that's it. Um, but I think more in terms of now reading up about um, the sort of compositional um, aspect of that record of, of how he made it, that made a lot of sense to me, just sort of more intuitively, um, and not going into the studio with a plan or whatever, just um, working that way and collaboratively with his fellow musicians. Um, I feel like I never really sit down to write a poem. I'll end up with poems, and somehow they appeared or I wrote them, but I don't really remember writing them or I didn't have a plan for them, and I feel like I'm collaborating with a bunch of people while I'm writing them. for you, but what I think a lot about um, contemporary poetry, fiction, other literature that is dealing with like political issues in globalist context and things of that kind. Um, I think about, you know, the two poles of dystopian and utopian thinking and like, you know, what portraying those particular, you know, sets of both, you know, desires and, and observances, but then also this supposed middle pole thing that would be called realism, you know, or the realistic portrayal. And I wonder if if you think about those things, or what you think about those things in, in relationship to your work, you know, just that, you know, are you know, because there's obviously a lot of dystopian images of what you're doing, and and, and certain kinds of utopian desires and things in other places. I just I wondered how you might respond to that. I think it just, I don't know. I mean, it sounds sort of trite, but I think the poems are just a reflection of the way that I feel in my life. And that's at times um, I have a lot of I have some hope <laughs> uh, in terms of um, other humans and uh, love and solidarity and the history of struggles and that they've been going on for a long time. Um, and then I have the same side, the hope and the despair are very close for me. I'm sure. For a lot of people, but um, and so the despair is uh, re reflected in the work equally, I think. But um, in terms of that, this has been happening for a very long time, and it still seems to be happening and getting worse, or um, at least from, from my short little lifespan, it doesn't feel like I um, can see it. 
not sure I would know how to write a strictly utopian or uh, poetry or something that was more um, one-sided or had a firm ideology. I mean, I'm, I have I have them. Everyone has them, but um, maybe if you can, if I can mix the hope and despair, something can come out the other side. As, make me feel better and maybe someone who hears it feels better enough to survive or do something in the world. <laughs> <laughs>